Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... You really can't have a right relationship with God if you don't understand grace, right? The grace of God is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God upon believers. It's God saying, look, I've done for you what you don't deserve, but I've done it for you. Um, that's the, the, that'll help us understand the gospel. This is, this is why Christianity is not really religion in, in the sense that most religions are, where people are trying to do something to reach God. God says, look, I did something to reach you. I gave you what you didn't deserve. I, I've been gracious to you. That grace will then bring about peace. Grace to you and peace. Are you feeling lost, anxious, or hopeless? Do you constantly search for inner peace, but never seem to find it? In today's message, Pastor Bill talks about how the grace of God gives us peace. The grace of God is the foundation for lasting peace. It's the only thing that can bring true and lasting peace in our lives. It's the antidote to the chaos and turmoil that we experience in this world. When we accept God's grace, we can let go of our anxieties, worries, and fears, and find peace in knowing that we are unconditionally loved. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Power of the Gospel. So if you guys have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to be starting this book today. I'm going to give a brief introduction, and then we're going to jump right into chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians today. So, um, But as we, let me pray, and then um, I, I got a few little things I want to share as we open this up, and I'm excited to walk through this book with you. So uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. Thank you for a place to gather. Thank you, God, that not just for a time of praise and worship, God, thank you that we have cause to praise and worship because of who you are and what you have done for us. God, I pray as we begin the book of 1 Thessalonians today that you would give, you would anoint me, Lord, to teach your word with clarity, with power, with effectiveness. God, I pray you would prepare our hearts that they would be good soil, good ground, that God, your word would be sown into our hearts, uh, that it would bear good fruit, Lord. Give us understanding. Help us to understand who you are, what you have done for us, and what this should mean for us in a greater way today. God, I pray we leave today with a greater appreciation for the gospel, greater conformity to the gospel, and a greater willingness to share it with those who need to hear it. So God, have your way in this time. We ask your blessing on it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, so I titled the message, and we're going to introduce Thessalonians, and then we're going to cover chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I titled the message, The Power of the Gospel. And we'll see as we get into 1 Thessalonians, especially this first chapter, it is very much an explanation and a demonstration of the power of the gospel. And so as I was really preparing and meditating on this, I had a few thoughts. You know, there's a lot of, in Christian circles, there's a lot of talk about the gospel. And so we have gospel music. There's a lot of things we throw gospel on, you know. And I wonder sometimes if we use it so frequently that we forget what is the, what, what the gospel is even talking about, you know. There are times I've heard gospel music 
that don't even have the gospel in it. Y'all know, have you guys heard some of that music? It'd be gospel music. So if, if, if we think about what the gospel is, it's the message of what Jesus has done for us that we might be saved. But I'm hearing music that's about everything else, about what I'm going to get and how I'm going to be blessed and what I'm going to drive and fly and everything else. And so the gospel is the most important message ever been shared. Um, it's the most important thing that's ever been done for us. And so it's important that we study it and look into it. And we'll do that in this chapter. But a little bit of uh, background on Thessalonians. This book is written by the Apostle Paul. This is actually Paul's first ever letter, his first written epistle. So this is the first inspired. He may have written other letters. This is the, inf- this is the first inspired writing that we have from the Apostle Paul. And so it's written during his second missionary journey. For you guys that know, you can get a little map and follow Paul and his missionary journeys because Paul went from place to place, establishing, building up, and strengthening the church. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about, you know, Paul's journeys that brought him to Thessalonica. So I've been stumbling over that by myself all week, so I'm going to do the best I can for y'all. So in Acts 16, you don't have to turn there. It was during Paul's second missionary journey. You guys remember when Paul was in the Philippian jail? Y'all remember that? Who was he in jail with? Who was his jail partner? Silas, right? And they, what did they do together? Instead of crying, complain, and moan, and, and, and whine, what did they do? They praised God, and there was a miraculous, you know, they, they were miraculously delivered and freed from the prison. You can go read that in Acts 16 and 17. The Philippian jailer, who was about to kill himself, they stopped him. He ended up getting saved and his whole household. And so God began to work right there in, the, in, in, in Philippi. So uh, the, the jailer gets saved. Um, they, they served there for a while. This is when Paul leaves, and he goes down to Thessalonica. When he's there in Thessalonica, 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 okay, it's the capital of Macedonia. I'm going to get it, y'all. And um, he's in this area for about three weekends, three Sabbath days, and he's going in every weekend, and he's teaching in the synagogues, and he's having such an effective ministry there in this area that the people accused him of turning the world upside down. So can you imagine three Sabbath days? After three Sundays or three Saturdays over there of preaching and contending with people about the faith, people were getting saved, people were dropping Judaism, people were leaving their idols, people were coming to a decision about who Jesus really was and what he had done. And it was it was so impactful that the people there said, this guy is flipping our town upside down. He was really turning it right side up. Amen. But they accused him of turning it upside down. And so there was an angry mob that chased Paul out of town. Let me say this about gospel ministry, real gospel ministry. The gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. And so it's an offensive message to those that are not receptive to it. And so there are people today that have tried to make the gospel palatable for everybody. Once you make the gospel palatable for everybody, it's probably no longer the gospel. You probably have taken the truth and the teeth out of the message. And so we will look at exactly what the gospel is before we're done, I promise. But I want to give Paul's story. So Paul's accused of turning the world upside down. They chased him from there to Berea. And so Paul was chased out of town to Berea. He's down there in Berea. Now check this out. The same angry mob that chased him out of Thessalonica, they went 45 miles from there 
to go to chase him also out of Berea. The same mob was like, we got to get this guy out of here. What do you think possessed them to hate Paul so much? He's just preaching the message of the gospel, right? He's messing up religion. He's messing up idolatry. Paul is, Paul is messing with their program, and they want him out of there. It speaks to Paul's effectiveness, and this is what I want you to consider. It speaks to the effectiveness of the true gospel message. It brings change. Um, something that me and a friend of mine were talking about is that how that some of the worst cities in the world have the most churches. Have you guys noticed that? If you go to the worst part of town, they got the most church. If you go to our inner city, you go to L.A., you can go to some parts of L.A. and it'd be three churches on one block. And it'd be like, why is the worst part of town got the most churches? That make you just make you go, hmm. I wonder what the, I mean, I wonder if the church is missing its mark. I wonder if we made entertainment. I wonder if we gotten so into music. I wonder if we're majoring in the minors so much that, that we're not really doing gospel ministry. And so we can be in an area and seem to have no effect, no impact. Nothing's changed in a community. No marriages are being saved. No families are doing better. I mean, just, it's just the same as it was when you got there. That's not the desire. My prayer for us, even as I, as I read through this and pray for, I'm praying for our church. I'm praying for Calvary Chapel Inglewood that we would impact this area. I, my prayer, you guys, is that we would, we would have such an impact. I've heard of revivals in times where the church was so strong, liquor stores start closing down. Bars started closing. I mean, nobody was coming. Everybody was at church. Would to God, right, that God would do such a work here that the, the dispensaries would be like, I don't know where all my customers went. You know, they, they got to come to church to find them. Ex-customers. Don't, don't, don't bring that up in here, y'all. So, but but that's, that's what the gospel message was, the real gospel was doing at this point in time, they chased him out of Berea. Paul then went to Athens. Then he went to Corinth while he was in Corinth. So Paul's been chased all over the place. Here's the cool thing about being a gospel minister. If you get chased out of one city to the next, when you go to the next city, the, the next city you've been chased to, what do you do there too? You preach the gospel. So they don't even know it. They were, they were accidentally spreading the gospel because everywhere they chased Paul, he just, he just set up shop and did some more gospel ministry. And so he was chased out of Berea, then he went to Athens, then he was in Corinth. While he was in Corinth, he was visited by two of the guys that he left behind in Thessalonica. He left behind Silas and Timothy. This is also very important. Though Paul was very prominent and important, he was not a one-man show. Paul was pouring into, Paul was always discipling. Paul was pouring into Silas. Paul then grabbed Timothy, was a young man. Paul was pouring into him. And so when Paul was gone, he left behind two people that were capable and able, two people that had received from him teachings and understood the gospel and could, could continue the ministry while Paul had been chased out, the more prominent figure, he left behind people that were able to continue the work. So when Silas and Timothy came up to tell Paul, how things were going. He's been out of Thessalonica for a few months. He only had a few months in of ministry there. He's been gone for a while. And these guys come up and they tell Paul, hey, God, Paul, things are going great. And that the, the, these believers are doing well. They're, they're moving forward, man. They're, they're getting things done for the kingdom. There's a few little things, you know, there's some things that need clearing up. You know, we're going to hear some things in this message. Uh, oh, as we go through the book where Paul is clarifying some things, we're going to get some end times, some detailed end times information um, and, and all of that later on in the book. But they say, Paul, in general, the believers in Thessalonica, even though you had a short time with them, they're doing well. They're thriving. They're moving forward with the Lord. And so Paul got a good report from them, and he wrote this letter 
to, to encourage them and to instruct them. So this is Paul's first letter ever written to ever ever written in scripture, you know, to to one of the churches. And so with that, would you guys pick up in chapter one, verse one, Thessalonians, first Thessalonians. Ooh, we I'm gonna get it together. All right. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse one, it says, Paul, Silvanus, Silvanus is another name for Silas. That's actually Silas. So Paul, Silas and Timothy, that's who's with him to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the letter coming from Paul, he's accompanied by Silas and Timothy. It's written to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because you're not part of the church unless you're in God, the father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. So the way that we're reconciled to God, the father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I should just say this right up front. It's it's a part of what we'll learn about the gospel. If you have not received Jesus Christ for who he is, you are not in relationship with God, the father. Right. Uh, we live in a world right now where everybody thinks that somehow by default they're a child of God. And it sounds nice. We're all God's children. And so but y'all know we're not all God's children. God has children. Who else has some children? Y'all said it. The devil got some babies out there. Uh, John 8, 44, Jesus said to a group of religious Jews, you are of your father, the devil. If you have not been born again of the spirit of God and adopted into the family of God, by default, Satan is your daddy, spiritually speaking. And so you need to fix that. Um, that's not who you want to have as your spiritual overseer or your spiritual father. And so, um, so moving on. So he says that to the Thessalonians in God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul's Typical greeting, grace to you and peace from God, our father. Notice the our father, not just his, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And always important, Paul says grace and peace. These are so important. You really can't have a right relationship with God if you don't understand grace, right? The grace of God is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God upon believers. It's God saying, look, I've done for you what you don't deserve, but I've done it for you. Um, that's the, the, that'll help us understand the gospel. This is ma- this is why Christianity is not really religion in, in the sense that most religions are, where people are trying to do something to reach God. God says, look, I did something to reach you. I gave you what you didn't deserve. I, I've been gracious to you. That grace will then bring about peace, grace to you and peace. And I, I've always believed that you can't really experience the peace of God until you understand the grace of God. When I understand the grace of God that says I was never good enough, and God chose me. I was never, I never performed well enough, but he won, but he loved me, right? Romans 5, 8, God loved you that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He demonstrated his love in that while you were in the midst of your sin, he died for you. I was never worthy. I'm still not worthy, but I still have all the love of God upon me. Grace. Um, that I, that I'm not performing so God will like me. I'm not serving so God will like me more. I'm not trying to make God, you know, care more about me. He, he loves me as much as he can ever care about me, loves me as much as he could ever love me. I am responding to the grace of God. And that brings me peace. How many of you guys would say over the last seven days you have messed up in some area of your walk with the Lord? Show of hands. Wow, y'all are terrible church here. And I'm just, I mean, most of us would, most of us are being honest. We could find some area where we say, nah, I didn't do great right there. And I didn't do great right there. And if and if our relationship with God, with, with the Lord was based on our performance, we could be bummed out about that. But because it's based on his grace, it's like God was never good enough. I still am not good enough. I'm being transformed more and more day by day into your image. I, I don't get condemned. I, I, I confess and I move forward with the Lord. Amen. And so grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all. This is Paul. After he got the good report about the believers in Thessalonians, he said, guys, he is excited to write this letter. He says, we thank God. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. I want you to know how encouraging it had to be for Paul to find out that the group that he spent a very small amount of time with, but now he's gone, that they're thriving. Like they're, they're coming along. Anybody here has ever led someone to the Lord and, and, and discipled them? And then, you, you know, years go by and you find out they're still serving God. They're still going strong. They're, they're raising a Christian family. They're, they're doing great in the Lord. It's encouraging to see that it, it's, it, it's, it, it worked. It stuck with somebody because we got enough stories of people that started and fell off. So it's, it's exciting and it's encouraging when you hear about those that, man, they're continuing on in the Lord. They still love Jesus. They're, they've grown. They've, they've gone further. You know, I did high school ministry for almost 12 years. And over those 12 years, you know, um, you, you saw some kids, you know, just kind of fall off and not do well and never really connect. You've seen some kids get involved and serve the Lord and kind of have a down and then come back up. I've seen, I've seen the boomerang program where kids that were raised in the Lord went away and came back. But you know what I've also seen? I've seen some kids that are adults today, but I've known them since they were junior hires. And they've been serving God since junior high. And now they're adults and they're married and they got two and three kids and they're still loving and serving the Lord. I'm, I look at Facebook sometimes and I'm like, man, this was a little, this is a kid in my, and, and the, this kid was in the sound ministry. This, this little girl was, a, a worship, was on the worship team. You know, this kid was whatever they were. Now they're like, man, they're serving God and they're raising kids and they're, they're, they're plugged into some church somewhere doing the work of the Lord. It's very encouraging. Paul is encouraged by them. And he says, man, I thank God for you guys all the time. I always make mention of you in our prayers. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing, he says, three things. I want you to write these three things down because we want to see these three things in our lives as those that have responded to the gospel. Number one, he says, your work of faith. Your work of faith. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Number two, your labor of love. And number three, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, and so uh, in, in the sight of God, our, in the sight of God, of our, of our God and Father. So these three things. First of all, Paul says, "I'm thanking God. I remember you without ceasing." These are things I'm grateful for that I've heard about you guys. First, your work of faith. Let me let me make this distinction right because it's so important that we make it. Some people are pre the gospel before they've received the gospel. They're trying to work to gain favor with God. That's wrong. Red X on top of that. That's not what God's after. Then we have people over here that have responded to the gospel, received the grace of God, sins are forgiven, and now that they're saved, they're like, God, now what is there for me to do? How do I serve you? I'm so grateful for what you have done for me. I was going to hell. Now I'm going to heaven. God, you're giving me purpose. I have spiritual gifts. What do you want to do in my life? And so he says, your work of faith. Every believer should have a work that they're doing that, 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 that it causes you to exercise faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's, every one of us is called to do a work. And I guarantee you the work that God will call you to do, will, it will demand faith. It will be something that's beyond what you can do in your own strength. God is going to always call you beyond what you can do in mustering your own strength where you have to trust him. You got to believe the Lord for provision or for strength or for wisdom or for for whatever it is. Maybe God has called some of you to speak 
Anybody that speaks, it is scary to get up in front of people and speak. Um, y'all, you, it may not look like it, but it is. You guys, you guys. I had somebody ask me yesterday. Do you, do you, you've been doing this a lot of times? Is you get nervous? Yes, every week. I be in the bathroom. I leave and go pray. I pray before every service because I'm, I'm not capable in myself. I'll forget everything. I'll I'll mispronounce all the wrong words. And I don't believe that there's an anointing on me, particularly. I believe there's an anointing on God's word. And if I could just get it said right, God will work through his word. And that's what I pray. God, help me not to mess it up. Help me to get it said right. Help help it to be spoken in such a way that it will touch hearts in the way that you intend so you can have your intended end in a person's life. Help me not to get in the way of what you want to do. It's a big deal. And so Paul says, your work of faith. And I would challenge every believer here, if you would say, if you're sitting in a seat and you would say, I am a believer, I want you to write down next to work of faith, what is your work of faith? What is the work that you do in God by faith? Is there something, if there's not, then we would pray for that. We would say, God, give, show me something that there's something I could do. And there is absolutely something you could do beginning today. Um, if, if, if it's sharing the gospel, if it's praying for people, if it's Sharing scripture with somebody, if, it's, if, the, if, this, if you discover your gifts, um, there's something everybody here could do that will require faith. One thing that every believer should be doing that will require faith is sharing your faith with other people. Um, it's one of the things that most people don't do. So first of all, your work of faith. Number two, your labor of love, right? The, the labor, of, he said, you guys have, a, there's a work that you guys are doing, but there's a labor of love that you guys are doing. And this, this, is, this reminds us that sometimes the work that we do for God is laborious, right? Everything, everybody's not a preacher. Some guys are, are built, there are people building churches. Um, uh, there's a group of guys in Haiti that I'm blessed to get to share with every week. Uh, there's a Bible college there, and there's a ministry in Haiti where local guys from Haiti are coming. They're being trained up to go back into their villages to, to pastor churches. And so um, they have pastors here that over Skype, we do teachings for these guys over the week. Well, I was on the Skype call Friday, and they had a team from California that was out there, and it was a, a labor team. So some teams will come, and they come teach. And other this team came, and they had a bunch of carpenters. And so they were, I mean, we're teaching, but I hear drills go, you know, you hear that, 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 because these guys are only there for a few amount of days and they got to get all they can get done while they're there. They're building rooms and everything else. That's a labor of love. These guys have left California, went down to Haiti to say, we believe in what God is doing here. We're going to build classrooms and bedrooms and otherwise so you guys can be ministered to and you guys can be in comfort and be in peace here. And so Maybe you're one that says, I don't really have, I don't sing, I'm not really a, I don't think I'm called to be a preacher, but you got something that you can do for the Lord. It may be that you're, you're someone with a skilled hand. Uh, my wife and my kids will tell you, um, while, while this is kind of my thing, I love to teach the word and study God's word, give me a hammer, a screwdriver, and I will break everything you, you, that you put in front of me. So I'm, I'm the most unhandiest person uh, that you know um, at my house. Anywhere where I have talked my family, let me do it. Let me do it. I can hang those pictures. When you pull those pictures off, it's about eight holes from, from missing the wood. And then it's the one hole I finally got the wood on. And uh, every once in a while when they want to laugh at me, they just pull a picture off the wall and say, All right, there you go, Dad. You know, like, you did good. You know, so it's not my gift, but it's somebody's gift, right? Some guys have that. And so let me encourage you, if your gifts aren't, Maybe public gifts or spoken gifts or those do you have, are you, is there a labor of love? Is there, is there another way that God would have you to put your hand to the plow to do a work for him? And again, I would encourage you to pray about that. Uh, he says your labor of love, 
Number three, he says, your patience of hope, your patience of hope. And so something a lot of believers lack is patience. Um, we don't like waiting on the Lord right now. Right now, I'm waiting on the Lord to clear up COVID and let us go back inside and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's a patience and there's got to there's some hope involved, right? That's not what he, when he says the patience of hope here. We're going to find out as we go through this book, their hope is in the Lord. And what they're waiting on and who they're waiting on is the Lord. Imagine a withered, seemingly dead houseplant that doesn't look like it will survive. You check on it daily. You give it water and make sure it's getting the right amount of sunlight. Then finally, it perks up. The life has returned to it. Your patience and love prevailed in revitalizing it to a healthy state. This is what Christ does for us, as we're reminded in 1 Thessalonians. Friends, we can be refreshed and restored instead of discouraged and tired. What a grand picture. There are many life-giving nuggets found in the Bible like this one, and so much more to learn about. That's why this ministry dedicates a space on our website to download the mobile app. This is a great tool to have because it allows you to hear the teachings of Jesus whenever and wherever you are. Head on over to calvaryinglewood.org and scroll down to the bottom of the page. There you'll find the information you need. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. We'd be ecstatic for you to join us this coming Sunday if you're in the area. There's a service at 11 a.m. and for our early birds, a 9 a.m. service. Tied up on Sunday with other things? We understand. There's also a midweek gathering on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. You can find the directions and other helpful information on our homepage, calvaryinglewood.org. Would you consider partnering with us to reach more people for Jesus? If so, just click on the Give tab and know that we're grateful for your generosity. Well, we're out of time for today. We look forward to the next time we're together, right here on A Transforming Word.